And welcome to G220 Radio. This is episode number 455. I'm calling it Random Book Recommendations. Um, This is kind of a last minute throw something together because it's election night. And the topic um, not everyone was ready to discuss. So we are, or I am, going to discuss random book recommendations. And I got five books here that I want to talk about um, that I have read, am reading, or want to read. And I'll give you why I think you should read them also for the benefit of it. But first, on a more serious note, um, some of you may have read Ricky's Facebook post about some issues that happened at a church he was attending um, in relation to an Apologetics Live, um, a podcast by Striving for Eternity or is connected with Striving for Eternity and part of the Christian podcast network and community. I'm headed up by Andrew Rappaport. And they made a comment about um, Ricky and the situation with this church. Obviously, I have known about this issue for a while, um, as Ricky has told us. And as of right now, we don't, we, um, mostly myself, I guess, I'm not speaking for Nathaniel, um, do not think that Ricky has sin or is in any sin from what obviously he has told us. Um, his pastor has not reached out to us um, for it, and nor have I reached out to him. And so just here to lend the support that we know the issues, um, we encourage um, his pastor If he wants to contact us, if he thinks it's serious enough that he's not a Christian and needed church discipline to contact us and contact me, I'm going to do it through Facebook or Twitter and to discuss this um, further. But for all of us here at G220 and for all of our listeners, we ask you to pray for both of them, for Ricky and his family as they search for a new church, for his former pastors. And that reconciliation will happen, that God will work in their life to reconcile this difference. I have no reason to believe Ricky is a is not a believer. Obviously, if I did, um, things would have changed around G220. That is not why he's not on tonight. Um, but I wanted to make a statement as a co-host of G220 Radio that... We've known about, I've known about the situation and that at this time we feel no need to do anything and Ricky, um, honestly, it's, it's just not a good situation and that just to pray like his best, but that is enough of that. Um, let's talk about some books. I have, like I said, a stack here. Um, four of them are Christian. One is not. I'll admit, 
I have a non-Christian book, but I think it will be beneficial, and we will save that one for last. Um, a book, one book that I've kind of just got done. I haven't read it all. I've looked through most of it. It's been a very helpful book, and it is the the scriptural exp exposition of the Baptist Confession by Benjamin Bedham. He is um, an early Baptist. He was born in 1717 and died in 1795. And like you've seen expositions of the 1689, this goes through kind of closer to the time um, of what the ba Baptist Catechism and giving a further defense of the scriptural evidence for what's in the Baptist Confession. And um, there is a little um, biographical sketch um, by him or about him um, done by Dr. Michael Haken, um, a professor at Southern Seminary, also at Toronto Baptist Theological Seminary. And if you want to get more into the catechism, which I think as a Baptist, Reformed Baptist, one should to understand what our forebearers believed at nothing else. Um, this is a really good book. And so you have like question five is may men make use of the Holy Scriptures? And the answer is all men are not only permitted, but commanded to but commanded and exhorted to read, hear and understand the Holy Scriptures. So then it goes, should the scriptures be read? And the answer is yes. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read Isaiah 34, 6. Should we read them to ourselves? Yes. The eunuch reading and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet, Acts 8, 28. Should we read, it with, read them to others? Yes. Thou shalt read his, this law before all Israel, Deuteronomy 3, 11. And should we cause others to read them? Yes. Cause that this epistle be read also to the church of the Laodiceans, Colossians 4.16. So you kind of get this, uh, get the um, point of it, is that you have the question answer, and then he asks questions related to the catechism question to better understand why the answer is as it is and that how in the case we read that all men should use the scripture and are exhorted to hear it and so it's a really good source now i was teaching kids the baptist catechism so that came in handy and thinking through some of this uh some of the issues especially issues that i maybe did not always agree with um but I was teaching them what the catechism taught. And so um, it would help me to explain it in the ways to do it. And I'm really, um, it was a really good, insightful uh, book. So it'd be a good one to even use in family and your personal um, development to read a chasm, a catechism question, and then to think through, the answers with um, Bedham. 
be able to um, fully understand what the catechism is talking about. So that is the first book. Obviously, there could be a lot of books I do this. The second book is a book I've used as a resource, but I have not read. It is Early Christian Doctrines by N.D. Kelly. It's an older book, as you can tell, with it. And it's a very thick book. This edition is 1978, so that's the latest edition, the revised um, the f and, um, what it goes through and what it helps <clears throat> and why I've used that resource and why I'm really looking forward to reading this book is that it works through what does the early church believe? What are some of the doctrines they are thinking about, commenting about? What are some of even their influences? And it's about like everything. Doctrines of the sacraments. Christ's mysterical body is a chapter. Um, it talks about the Christian hope and eschatology. Fallen man and God's grace. The Christological settlement. Fourth century Christological. So understanding some of the theology there. Um, the Nicene Crisis, the Doctrine of Trinity, which is what I wrote my paper on um, in seminary. We talked about with um, Basil and Calvin and, and comparing how they develop the Trinity as it. And just kind of going through just different theologies, different um, views that the early church has. And the struggle for orthodoxy. So he talks about Arianism. He talks about modalism and all others. And what I really enjoyed about it when I use it for research is the quotes. He um, does the research. The quotes are in there. You can find the sources. You can read it from themselves. And that's a lot of when... We think I think about books like this and early Christian doctrines, um, and other resources that I have. Is does it help me better understand the sources? And can I go to the source and see what he's talking about? See, is this kind of what they're talking about? Reading it in, um, and kind of in light of it. Um, and so this book, um, Early Christian Doctrines by J.D. Kelly, um, is one I'm excited. Now, I've read a chapter or two out of it, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier. But I think you're in our time, in our age, and in a sense in Reformed Christendom, there is a resurgence of like historical theology. And I've mentioned this in the show, and we've talked a little bit about it. But we all kind of usually stop at the Reformation. And if we go past the Reformation, we, like, stop at Augustine. And not that stopping at Augustine is necessarily a bad thing. Augustine is probably the greatest theologian in church history. Um, you 
aren't going to find a theologian that is so impactful in so many ways. I mean, you think of books people want that people want to read from Augustine, the Confession, the City of God, this book about the Trinity. And you have other books, even his treatises with um his uh his treatises on grace and dealing with the um I want to say Arian controversy, but that's not it. The Pelagian controversy, that's the one I want um, with it. Um, what J.D. Kelly does is he takes us back farther. When you look into Origen and Tertullian and Ignatius and Irenaeus and uh, John Chrysostom and all these other great early church fathers that we need to listen to that we need to read and understand there is many times this even my own understanding is what does the early church have to say and does it match up with what we believe now um, there are good books which I don't have and, and look forward to reading, um, like Interpreting Scripture with the Great Tradition um, is another book, and understanding how they interpret better. I think that's where J.D. Kelly helps, J.N.D. Kelly helps with us, with me, to better understand how are they thinking about the Bible and how are they looking and researching and understanding all that is going in there because there's a sense in which they're foundational. Now I think it is appropriate that the doctrine of the apostles and the doctrine of the church fathers drop. And you have that with just the importance of the apostles, but nonetheless, they are thinking through things. They're teaching things. They're living in a certain way that we should consider that we should really just have a better grasp foundational like how are they defending the trinity how are they defending the person and work of christ how are they defending who kind of god is against the early heresies and i think that what's that makes um books like church history books and um, historical theology books, especially focusing on the early church. And I admit that after the early church, I kind of have the, the second greatest um, theologian with um, Aquinas being one who is so impactful with the church. And this isn't to conclude that you, that Calvin's not in this list, but you know, um, there is a lot of de development, even though Calvin himself kind of jumps over medieval theology to the church fathers to say, look, we hold on to what they hold on. There's a sense that a lot of what he is talking about is still built upon some of the early church or some of the medievals. So 
there you go. A little bit of my own uh, weakness that I want to go. But if you want to learn more about uh, early Christian doctrines, what they thought, whether they're heretical or orthodox, uh, J&D Kelly's Early Christian Doctrines is a book that you are going to want to read as that hits a big thud. Um, a book I'm currently reading and I've really enjoyed so far, um, kind of uh, a book that I've wanted to read for a while, is Always Ready, Directions for Defending Faith by Greg Beinson. Um, no, I am not becoming a theonomist, though I heard this is a really good book about presuppositional apologetics, which is why um, I'm currently reading it. And to kind of think through, again, apologi apologetic issues. And maybe like some of you, your apologetics is kind of based on what you hear. I listen to a lot of um, Stand to Reason, a great ministry, great podcast. Um, Greg Kokel works through a lot of good issues and to think through. And from at least on a soil, a salvation salvation issue claims to be Calvinist, and so he has this reformed idea. You think of um, R.C. Sproul, another kind of apologist theologian, who would disagree with Beinson on his apologetic approach. Again, having kind of this classical evidentialist understanding with it and so and thinking through some of these issues um i've picked up here always ready and have really enjoyed kind of the first part of the book um just understanding what is necessary to engage into um apologetics and this first part of the book is really talking about the fact that there is no neutrality. Like I know in some of my apologetics classes that I've had, that was kind of, you need to get to like your person's level. And it sounds really good. Like you, you need to find common ground and, and maybe there's a sense in which that's true. And I don't think Greg, um, Beinson would maybe necess necessarily agree with that. But what he would say is really that there is no neutrality. There is no place in which everyone drops their presuppositions and you can just kind of come at it. Again, that has been kind of wonderful to think about, to consider. Especially being a Reformed Christian, it makes a lot of sense. Because there's really only two types of people in the world. Those who don't believe in God and those who have been saved by grace. And, well, those are two radically different positions. One claims to be wise and they're a fool. And the other one sees himself as a fool but by grace is wise as he learns God's wisdom as he grows in holiness 
and in love towards God, it reflects out in that way. And so I think kind of early on, and this is what he's been really hammering, is there's no neutrality in these debates. When we engage in non-believers, we are engaging in a positional battle. And the lines are drawn. And there's a sense in which it's a spiritual warfare act. There's um, like a one-on-one duel. David and Goliath, as you can maybe think of it. Um, where the unbeliever is like Goliath and he curses the God of Israel and the Christian apologist is David. And, you know, you get rid of this filth. He's calling curses down and he's not living as God, but God has a message of salvation and that we are to bring that armed and ready to this battle. And so this book has really been helpful into thinking more about that. Um, Another book that um, would help also to think about this is Nancy Percy's um, Total Truth, in which she kind of disassembles the sacred-secular divide. Um, While she's probably, I think she's more evidentialist in her apologetics approach, um, I do think kind of her understanding that we can't separate these matters fit really in with this, that no matter what we think about and engage in apologetically as Christians, we engage with it differently. We engage with it with the word of God as being our foundation and, and really interpreting the world around us for it. So I do think Greg Bison Bison's always ready um, is a book, if you will just want to learn, I think it's a good book so far to help understand presuppositional apologetics and to really consider and to um, contrast the different views of apologetics with it. And he is, I think, he is taught by Van Til himself. I'm pretty sure. Um, and so it doesn't say out here. Um, but again, someone who would help. Um, help us to be better apologists and better defenders of the Christian faith. Another book I'm really excited um, for is my pastor's new book. Now he's released a second edition of his book called um, The Gospels for Christians, which I encourage everyone to get and to read. But if you want to learn how to read your Bible better, Um, This is part of the 40 question series, but it's 40 questions about typology and allegory. Now, if you're dispensationalist, I think you should really read this book so you can understand true typology and allegory. Um, I think this is important um, 
in many ways. Now I get to listen to the author every Sunday he preaches or I'm there and I get to edit his sermons. Um, and by editing, just make it so that people can hear it. Um, but this is a book I'm really excited about. Um, because some of it is that it's providing me now the academic treatment of how, of what I hear every Sunday. Um, the 40 question series is a good series. Um, in general, I've enjoyed other series in the book, but I think that's what it, I'm really excited for really two reasons. Cause it's my pastor's book. It's always exciting to, to read books of people, you know, um, but I think it's also, um, a really good book and just um, how to read the Bible better. Um, I would say, um, and this is kind of maybe a response to a podcast that was done by our old friend George about this topic, that the, while we interpret the Bible in which the readers understood, I think it's important that our meetings are derived from it. But there's also not only a human author who maybe at times spoke better than what he knew, but you have a divine author who is orchestrating the Bible in a way to bring the testimony about him. That is why we can say that Old Testament saints are saved by the work of Christ because well, the Old Testament pointed that way. And the questions is, well, how does it point? And I think um, obviously the Bible, the New Testament writers help us. And Paul helps us to understand a little bit how this is. The gospel help us to understand. Because when we think about it coming up to the Christmas season, how would we think that Isaiah, when he gives the prophecy that a, a virgin would give birth, that it's going to mean a woman who is betrothed but has had never known a man and like that's just that's not obvious in the text but Matthew thinks that's applicable in fact Matthew's gospel is written very much as the old the beginning of the old testament is written that the stories line up. Christ goes to Egypt. He's out of Egypt. I call my son. And the text, the prophet says, um, Israel. Yeah, it's applied to Christ. All of that is typology and allegory. And that when we better understand that, we become better readers of our Bible. We had my pastor on to talk about Leviticus and well, we can see just in that book, this idea. When Jesus is being touched by a woman who is unclean with the discharge of blood, according to the law of Moses, he is now unclean. But the opposite happens. She becomes clean. She no longer has her discharge of blood. 
she now is able to go worship and Christ remains clean. Well, that's typology and allegory. That something greater than Moses is here. Something's greater than the priest who is in charge of saying what is clean and unclean and what skin condition makes you right to enter the temple and which one doesn't. But Jesus is greater. I think when we understand typology and allegory, when we understand biblical theology and the connections it brings, it opens up the Bible in a whole new level and it's not spiritualizing it. And you can go, I think the pushback with allegory and it's rightly so is that you see this in the early church where allegories are very fanciful. They're, they don't seem connected to the, the text and that happens. And so this is a push against that. But even John Christosom, who I was taught is, you know, like an example of early church preachers that were more literal, as we like to say, more expository. If you ever read his sermons, they dabble in typology and allegory the same type way my pastor does and who wrote this book. So I do think um, just because I've learned so much sitting under his teaching week in, week out, and um, to just understanding the Bible better, that those of you who don't get the pleasure of sitting under someone like that now have a resource that you can read, that you can employ, and that you can use to better understand what your Bible says. And to catch all the connections, the illusions, to put it. You're not going to get them all right away. You're going to go to it. But when we consider how Paul uh, interpreted, even in Galatians, the free woman and the slave woman, he's using typology there. I think he's given us an example of how to use these texts and it's not one that is devoid from context sarah is the free woman and she has a son who is free hagar is not the free woman she's the slave woman her son is still in the bondage of slave and so i think we better understand how paul interpreted scripture we can better understand how we can interpret scripture. I think how God wants us to interpret scripture. And as Mitch says, the Old Testament is Christian scriptures and we need to know it. I think typology and, and allegory will help us to not only read the Old Testament better, understanding it in its context, but also how it plays a role throughout the rest of the scripture. And I, so I do think... For those of you who want to know more about the Bible, that is a good book, especially for a dispensationalist. For a good argument why, maybe you should see more allegory than what is explicitly stated. You don't have to agree with them, but I do think, um, at least from his, te from his teaching and if 
or sitting underneath him, um, he makes a good argument um, for it. So the last book, the final book, is a non-Christian book. But I do think with wisdom and discernment that this is a good book um, to read because it's practical. I think it can be helpful in our growth of holiness. And this book is called Atomic Habits. It is a New York Times bestseller by James Clear. When I first heard an interview from it, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, whatever. This is a modern gobbledygook. Um, I had to, I didn't have to read it. I chose to read it um, with my coworkers. Um, we have a, a weekly book, paid time to talk about and discuss this book. And I, I have to admit, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. And so the premise is tiny changes have remarkable results. And why I think this can help us in growing for holiness is that he argues for kind of intentionality in what we do. You don't like doing something? Well, you need to be intentional about changing it. You need to know why you do it, what leads up to it. I think what helps this, what makes this book helpful, is when we consider sins that we can are more maybe environmental um, than, you know, sins like getting a rush of anger, kind of unknown, uh, or sins that maybe were more, uh, spontaneous with it. And so kind of what he talks about and what he decides, I think he's doing this is when you recognize someplace, something you want to change. So let's just, for example, because it probably sting all of us is I spend too much time on Facebook or watching YouTube videos and I'm not praying enough or I'm so busy. I don't read my word. I don't read the word, but I also realize I waste a lot of time on social media. Like what James clear, who's not a Christian um, helps us in that. Okay. Identify the change. Figure out what can I do to start breaking kind of that habit and understanding that it's not like if I do this for 20 weeks or so, like I'm good, that this is something that is constant. You have to be constantly intentional about what you're doing and that you make small changes to try to incorporate this new habit you want to start. So, as Christians, our spiritual disciplines would, I think, fit in this. Maybe even sins of laziness or other sins that we're prone to that are kind of environmental. 
you know, hard day of work, you get home or you come downstairs, you know, in this pandemic and you sit on the couch and you start flipping through Facebook or you start watching YouTube videos. And I think, and I haven't always, uh, incorporated everything he's done. I think he, and probably do. I think those who want to see that and just be better faithful with our time. I think it really just kind of what it comes down to. I think James Clear offers some help, some science to be able for Christians to live more faithfully in how we deal with our lives, how we structure our lives. And um, obviously this comes from that he's an image of God. And that there's a sense of, of duty and of work and to do things with it. But there's evolution in here. Let's just put it out there. Let's just say it. There's some of that in there. Again, you have to read it with discernment. I think when you get his idea, when you see where he's going, I think you'll see that this book can be helpful into making those changes in our lives that we can be more faithful, be more regular in our spiritual disciplines and in prayer, you know, prayer, Bible reading, and even sitting down to read books and not always being entertained by the flashing media, which you're currently watching if you're on YouTube or even audio menu, if you're listening to us in between your head. But I think there is, um, so I think there's value in in reading here a book that's not Christian, but can help us in that. Um, another book I would put related to it and what I had to read for a preaching class is called Deep Work. Again, another book. He's a non-Christian, but his kind of philosophy kind of a way is like, look, we don't think deep enough in subjects. And... Hmm my preaching pastor or my preaching professor was like, look, that's true for, for preachers. There's always so much going on and you need time set aside time to focus and to study, to be in the word and to do it. That book helps you understand what you need to do and how to do it. So you can be more productive in your time where you're not distracted. You're not, um, trying to be stop procrastinating in that way so i do think um so those books help with it um if i remember i'll put um book titles in the show description so you can check them out um we don't have affiliate links so you can't help us with that so i hope as we record this on election day, that you've enjoyed the show. Just remember that when we're on next week, Jesus is still king. The Lord is still saving his people and directing the world to the way he will do. And he is faithful and just. And that no one can take away God's love from us, can separate us from God's love. For those of us who have been saved, 
So no matter who wins tonight, Christ is still king over all the universe. And one day all will bow down and say Jesus is Lord. For Ricky and Natty P, I am Mike. We thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.